Hey, welcome to the Zenway Podcast. It's another episode and I have uh, a dear friend who also is a fellow podcast host as well. Her name is Sarah. Uh, I'm your host, Zenway, uh, you know, and in th- on this podcast, I talk about, you know, life, career and tech as well. Uh, so, you know, in this conversation, I have a good combination of all those three things. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, life as a mom. We're going to talk about her career in Silicon Valley in one of the health tech uh, you know, uh, unicorns as well, right? So we're going to touch a little bit about mm. health tech as well. So super excited. We got connected over uh, LinkedIn. You know, it's been a super rewarding platform so far. Uh, they're not lying when they say LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the cool platform right now, uh, you know, in terms of really connecting with people, right? So, you know, I, without further ado, I'm just going to welcome Sarah to the show and ask her to introduce uh, herself. Hey, Sarah, welcome welcome on the show. And, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, hi, Zen. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, my name is Sarah Wong. And like you, I am a budding podcast host. Um, I'm a Singaporean. I am a mother of two young kids, three-year-old and one-year-old. I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Economics in Singapore. Quickly found my way into healthcare in Singapore and later in Silicon Valley. And I recently returned to Singapore last year. After about six years overseas, I was studying, doing my MBA, and then I worked in the US. So today, professionally, I put my time between two main things. I am a consultant with a med tech startup slash incubator community called Heal Venture Lab. And I also do this podcast called Make It Work. It's about working moms in Asia who have made career shifts whilst keeping family first. And personally, I spend a lot of time with my family of young kids and also very involved in my church community. Uh, a fun fact is that I am married to a pastor and uh, that can be a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that a lot because, you know, my, my son just turned one year old, like, you know, uh, a, a week a week or two ago. Uh, oh, so, you know, yeah. thank you. Congrats and, you to know, the parents, actually. I- that you we survived, survived one, year. one year. Yes, I think it's more for the parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. you know, it's, it's it's very obvious when they're like, you know, you sing happy birthday to them, they have no idea what's going oh. on. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 so cute to kind of see them, uh, you know, uh, exposed to like, you know, this kind of like, I guess, like birthday celebration. And, you know, like now that he can walk around and, and all that, you know, it's really fun to kind of see him. Uh, you know, playing with different, you know, birthday gifts as well. Uh, but really the, um, you know, I, I really like what you said around like, you know, ha- you know, put working mothers and also putting their career first as well, because, you know, um, when my wife was family going first. through... Family first. Yes, family first, right? Family first. <laughs> and, and sorry, my my bad. Uh, and when my wife was going through, you know, uh, her, her own maternity, she was also, you know, discovering her identity change as well, you know. Yes, uh, there's yes. always this battle between do I want to be a stay-at-home mom because I miss my kid versus like, you know, I still want to have a career as well, right? So I, I, I listened to a few episodes of your, of, your, of your podcast and I find, you know, those, those conversations really interesting to, you know, try to understand the perspective of, of women as well. Um, Thank you. And, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your, your background, right? You know, before the show, we talked yeah. about how, like, you know, it was an interesting, uh, you know, journey for you to kind of reflect on as well. So mm-hmm. you mentioned that, you know, you, 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 you studied economics and, you know, political science as well, yeah. right? What made you, uh, uh, you know, chose those uh, career, uh, so those those uh, majors in the first place, you know, like, you know, let's start with that, right? And then because after that, you took such an interesting path as well. Yeah, sure. So that was actually quite some time ago. That was in 2005. And I initially applied because I think I wanted to broaden my options in Actually, I applied to business school. I applied to Singapore Management University Business School, and it was pretty new at that time, maybe five, six years, and it was known for its business school because it was it like it's supposed to be the NYU of Singapore. It's the university in town, and you're supposed to have a lot of good connections to business leaders and things like that. So that was how it tried to differentiate itself between the other Singapore universities. So I was attracted to business initially. Then the interesting thing is, um, and I will answer your question very quickly, but when I was reflecting, I realized that I, this started a journey of basically learning how not to uh, accept no as an answer. So I went for the interview and that time they had these 
panel interviews where students were supposed to be really very vocal and talk about yeah. current affairs, talk about your ideas, yeah. uh, raise your hand, you know, and talk about the, the, the latest and the greatest in business. And basically, I don't think I shined. I don't think I made the first cut. So I didn't actually get accepted the very first round. You know, they have like these rounds of acceptance. And then when I didn't get my reply from the business school, I started kind of wondering and I was a little bit afraid that I wouldn't actually get in. And so I <laughs> preempted this and I wrote into, I think, the dean of the school to ask for sort of like a one-on-one -on -one presentation to wow. tell them and convince them why I, I should be accepted. Um, so I talked about some of the charity work that I was doing. We were at that time um, raising a lot of money for this charity in Singapore. And it also brought us to Zimbabwe for humanitarian trip, which was, you know, very interesting. And I basically got accepted then and then. So I got accepted into the business school um, after sort of being waitlisted, I suppose, not officially. Uh, and then why I went into economics was it was just a senior that I met in the School of Economics who somehow brainwashed me to say like, hey, economics <laughs> is much more um, uh, broad. You actually get to yeah. learn about the science or the, the math behind it. And I actually quite like economics back in my junior college days. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. I got tricked into it, I guess. But um, yeah, all good, all good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, was 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 the was the same senior? Uh, did the same senior also kind of, uh, you know, convince you to also take up political science as well? Because it's not something that you know you 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 naturally take up, you know, out of out of uh, you know naturally, right? Because you you went for business mm. economics, and suddenly there's political science as well. Well, I think there were quite a lot of overlaps in the schools because uh, the School mm. of Economics was actually housed together with the School of Social Sciences in which right. political science is a, you know, a major. So I had a lot of friends who were in the social sciences and then they would talk about their courses and obviously we would also have a, a view into the different options and you know mm. things like globalization of the politics and uh, just the political science modules were in, incredibly interesting to me as well to kind of make sense of the history of the mm. world to I guess sort of you know crystal ball gaze and I thought that that uh, would be a good way to kind of piece the you know the econ side and then the his, history side together and understand the world better <laughs> yeah and that, that makes a lot of sense because you know I think economy is, you know, very closely tied to political stability and things like that. You know, us mm -hmm. in Malaysia, for example, uh, yeah. every single time, I mean, we change our governments like four or five times in the last <laughs> two to three years. Yeah. So we, we know the full effect of, you know, how political stability can actually uh, affect uh, economy stability. And it also, it, in general, it's just perception and sentiment, right? Because it's all about, about that, right? In terms of how, uh, you know, people perceive our, our economy going uh, going forward so i think that's that's that, that makes a lot of sense um you yeah, know yeah in terms of um your your first few roles right how do you land yeah. your first few roles after that because it was rather interesting that you went into you know this innovation mm. space as well right you know what did you take away from those chapters sure so i think i can break up my career journey into three big parts i think the first part uh was my foray into consulting and, uh, and market analysis and market research. It, these were non-healthcare related jobs. I was mm -hmm. in a yeah, business um, monitor international. It was like a market research company. I was doing commodities analysis, which was totally not yeah. related to healthcare. Yeah. Uh, right. But you know, related to economics, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I yeah. guess that was where I was yeah. writing off my econ, you know, my degree and I joined a graduate program and then from there you know I learned how to read like Bloomberg charts I learned how mm. to make sense of the prices of soybean and how the demand and supply because of weather problems in Ukraine or in China would actually affect the prices of you know these commodities uh, which is an important asset class uh, and also, I guess it helped me also give me a, a grasp of, um, you know, financial markets a little bit. Um, 
And importantly, it gave me a research skills. So I you know, had to write these reports <clears throat> every day, essentially uh, read you know, business articles and, and then long, more long form like quarterly reports that were essentially you know, a very transferable skill that went into and served me well in my consulting role after that. It was a strategy consulting uh, startup that I, I, I joined. And uh, really, so after that, I went into my I guess the second phase of my career, which was really into healthcare. Mm. And it was in a corporate innovation team, like what you, you were alluding to, an innovation team in Medtronic, which, was a, which is one of the largest medical device companies in the world, it's based in the US, but they were starting out this very interesting business model innovation uh, group in the organization. Um, how I found out about it was through a mentor and um yeah actually one caveat i wanted to say is that out of all my what five six jobs so far i think only one or two have actually been found on the official job portals like mm. the rest were actually found in what you would call like a shadow job economy <laughs> which uh from what i understand is actually majority of of the jobs yeah. basically the, the ones that aren't yeah. you know officially uh, you know, advertised. And so they were all like referral or, or through to people, right? That I hear about and I, oh, then, you know, start like getting into. So, um, yeah, so that, that's one caveat. Uh, yeah, so from then on, all my other roles were basically, yeah, through referrals. And then uh, I went into health tech because of my experience in Medtronic. I, I had the really privilege to sit, you know, that time it was, 2012, 13, um, and, and this is where I met who was one of your guests in uh, your podcast before. Yeah, she was the, the manager who I, I mentioned had introduced me and I had the yeah, privilege to really sit at the front of this whole wave of like the quantified self movement and data being a really exciting prospect of, you know, measuring your kind of lifestyle and thinking about how it would augment how people took care of their health and the approach to healthcare. I mean, bear in mind, like the Apple store only came into being like two years ago, like 2010 or 2011. And so, you know, the apps started coming out and it was still super new. So yeah. with that, I got really excited about like, oh, wow, what could, you know, tech really do for for healthcare, um, So yeah. that's how I kind of delved deeper into, into health tech and then the most the last mm, biggest uh, experience was in the U.S. in working in, I guess, the, the sort of the heart of uh, innovation mm. in, in healthcare and health tech. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and you know, after after like being in the you know in uh, Medtronic for uh, for a bit, and then you know, it seems like it is kind of paved the the way for the next you know health tech roles as well right so uh you have mm. another role in i think it's connection asia from about you know 2012 to 2016 um you've, you've mentioned around like how iphone and the app store just came out as well right and then up to the yeah. 2016 um you know what are some i guess during that time you know what are some of the, i guess the trends that you observed that was happening in the in the industry were people going more i, I guess mobile or you know what was the trend they were you were observing at that point of time yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that was where the shift into your phone being your personal computer that like, really started. And um, so, yeah, as I was, you know, talking about the whole quantified self movement of, you know, using your phone to start tracking you and helping you with, uh, you know, reminding you that you needed to move around. I mean, I think that okay, still it wasn't that advanced at that point, but I mean, that was what people were saying that would happen one day. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. And, and so one of the projects that mm. we did in Medtronic uh, was around helping diabetes patients basically monitor their condition when they left the, the office, right? So it's a chronic disease. It's something that is going to be there for a long time. And it's really about healthcare management and not about the time when you go into the doctor, right? So it's you know, between the first and the, the sixth month where you have to have your regular checkup, what happens during that time? So the idea is that, okay, we, you know, we can use these apps to help like prompt or have a way for care coordinators to reach out to the 
the patient or for the patient to also you know reach out to the doctor or some kind of healthcare professional to ask if they have any questions and to you know manage their disease better so this really laid the the foundation though i mean it must we said that it was super early on and the interesting thing is we you know pitched this idea of using these apps wrapped around like a continuous glucose monitor for example something that uh, you have to put on yours yourself to monitor you know your mm -hmm. blood sugar level yeah. we pitched this to uh local singapore stakeholders but uh, this is the the environment here is a little bit more risk averse and in the end we found the most ready to trial a kind of counterparts in the country like India, where, uh, mm. you know, they can do, well, they have much more, I guess, flexibility and freedom to to try out these things because it's slightly less regulated and uh, people were just more, uh, I would say, yeah, like open to, to trying new technologies, mm. uh, especially then. So those were some, I guess, interesting observations. And then, yeah, come to the insurance tech, uh, my my work experience in Connections Asia, it was also because I wanted to see, and that was where people were saying like, hey, you know, insurance is also the next frontier because they are essentially the most aligned in a way with the the actual patients or the customers uh, because they are the ones who have to pay for it eventually. So it's in the insurance um, advantage, the insurance company's advantage to actually try and experiment with these products right to see how they can keep premiums you know uh, without uh, ballooning and keep keep them uh you know the better way to kind of stratify or what do you call like prioritize certain populations and have more tailored like insurance plans so so that was uh kind of why I, why i joined it as well because it was a different stakeholder in the whole healthcare ecosystem i was in a med device you know, setting before that. And then I decided to, yeah, try out uh, this insurance tech because they were also uh, much smaller than Medtronic and they uh, were a different player and would, oh yeah, and importantly, they also were willing to take on somebody who didn't have any tech experience. <laughs> so that was uh, a really important um, caveat, I would say that in, in my experience in joining yeah, that company. Yeah, I think you pointed out a few really interesting parts where, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of uh, insurers need well, they are they are more aligned to the uh, to the consumers or the or the end users because it is in their interest to keep you healthy because mm -hmm. then there's less claims. Yeah. Uh, it is also yeah. in their interest to also kind of lower down the cost as well because they do not they do not want to uh, have their costs gone up as well. Uh, it's, it's a rather interesting. A perspective because you know there's always this stigma where you know like you know i'm paying uh, a lot of insurance premium for nothing right so uh but you know i think there is there has been a change in the industry as well you know we've, we've worked with mm. uh, uh in my past uh organization you know we worked with insurers as well and they they wanted to mm. innovate in the sense that they want you know more engagement that's what we've been seeing right uh in yeah. for the insurance player they do not want the relationship where it is at the touch point of them buying and claiming right in between you know they do you don't hear from them you know, other than you know asking you to buy more premiums right now they really want to make sure you feel like you know you're part of the the, the i guess like a, a real customer in a sense right we're going to give you different perks different benefits and stuff like that before you even claim or have a serious health issue uh which is a very yeah. refreshing change i must say because for, i mean yeah we're you know we run a family and you know how many insurance policies do we really have right so you know it's mm -hmm. it's really quite a big sum and you always want to extract, you know, more, more, more value out of them as well. Uh, I'm curious yeah. in terms of the, uh, I guess, the innovation that you see when you're, you're working with Connection Asia. What are some of the interesting stuff that they have actually tried to kind of, you know, uh, make things a bit more different and innovative as well in the insurance space, right? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that was, I would say, five, six years ago. So that was a mm -hmm. while back. I think yeah. it might be a bit different today. Um, but yeah. what I saw, yeah, in the insurance business, like what you mentioned, it was the budding of interesting uh, ideas uh, around like, okay, let's have the innovation, uh, uh, let the insurance companies were trying to have innovation disrupt their model in a way. So there were a lot of these innovation um, labs coming up. Yeah, in many of these insurance companies, which 
uh, were focused on, like what you said, you know, trying to increase the touch points to ideally maybe have more personalized uh, policies or um, mm. for for these customers. So so that was one. And um, if I may, I think I would. I remember uh, looking a lot in the U.S. because that's you know where usually this innovation kind of mm. starts out first, right? And mm. then it slowly trickles. So there were, yeah, these, um, in the US, they have these employer plans, right? So you have the yeah. huge Apples and Googles, they have, they're actually, in, they ensure their own population because they are so big that they mm. have the pool to, you know, essentially uh, sort of balance out the risk. And I believe these are also more healthy people. Um, so with that, they had, unique plans where they were set up with some startups like uh, some diabetes management, for example, uh, companies like Omada, Levongo, where they would have uh, specific, you know, plans for patient or for customers, employees who had, you know, say diabetes, or maybe they're pre-diabetic, and um, they would sign up, and then they would get you know, this package from the company to help with managing your diabetes, you'll get like a, a, a weight monitor, you know, a smart one, a Bluetooth one, and then they do have a health tracker. And then so these data points, uh, if they were, you know, adhering, uh, it would actually help to track how they were doing, say, with their weight management, and then ideally translate into, you know, after a, a while, translate into uh, better outcomes when they did their this HbA1c or their blood glucose testing every uh, few months, and mm. uh, they would even have a, a. And actually, some of these companies were so interesting that they would have um, these value-based contracts where the companies would only be paid if there was any change in the you know these mm. these metrics, like if the wow. you know the yeah the sugar level actually went down for your went employees. Yeah, you would actually be paid. So, um, yeah, those were really innovative, you know, payment models, I guess, um, right. in, in the insurance space that, that caught my attention for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you okay, you mentioned one that we're probably going to talk a little bit more later, which is the value-based, uh, you know, healthcare. Uh, yeah. But, you know, before we take that tangent, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, explore one chapter in your life as well in terms of, you know, in 2016, you decided to actually take an MBA. Uh, and I would think that at that point of time, you know, looking at your trajectory, you're probably on the way up, right? And, you know, taking an MBA uh, would mean that you probably need to kind of focus a little bit more on that. So I was curious in terms of, was it a full-time MBA? Why do you decide to take an MBA? Um, and I guess, you know, how did that, you know, I guess, you know, influence your career or affected your career as well, you know, by taking an MBA? That's a great point. I remember at that point, I was in, yeah, Connection Asia, and I was basically in a very young and very high potential startup. And I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to lose out if I you know, were to step away from this great yeah. opportunity into the INSEAD MBA, which uh, would be a one-year thing. It was a full-time thing that mm. I had applied for. Honestly, I didn't really think about part-time. I think I, I wanted the, the full experience, the immersive experience. I think yeah. uh, I, I read a, a lot about um, how it would be really hard to, you know, juggle between studying and working. And I was in a, in a, you know, startup. So at that point, I didn't think it was the best idea. So um, it was between, you know, continuing the startup or leaving to pursue the MBA and different things. I guess uh, I mean, you make the best decision that you have with the, you know, information you have then. Yeah. yeah, and I remember it was some of the mentors that I had in my other companies. They they all had some form of masters, um, and mm. I always looked up to them. I, I thought they were the smartest, you know, the most um, well-traveled and really had great experience. Even though they weren't that much older than me, uh, they had just a, a really uh, new perspective to, to working, which I hadn't experienced, you know, working, uh, studying because I was still quite young then uh, as a fresh graduate. And so I kind of boiled it down to their global experience, having done their masters or MBAs uh, overseas. Um, and they always talked about their you know, MBAs with, uh, you know, glowing eyes, like, oh, you know, those are the best years and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so uh, that plus, I guess the last piece that I, I knew that I always wanted to work and uh, live overseas. So I saw this as 
in a way, a ticket to do that. And I mean, for sure, the INSEAD MBA is also a great platform. Uh, it is a you know very well-known and a, a very solid program. So I, I didn't think I would be ultimately, if I went into which I did, uh, that I'll be you know really missing out on uh, that much essentially because uh, the yeah the ROI from the MBA was you know pretty tried and tested as well. Mm, yeah. yeah, and you know, in terms of uh, you, you talk you talk about how that's the ticket for you to you know uh, work overseas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think right. you, you def- it definitely did right in terms of, you know looking back in hindsight, wow. hey, it kind of planned out, it kind of worked out, you know. So what what was it really like, you know, working in a startup in the Silicon Valley, right? You know, how do you kind of like adapt to the to the culture over there? We always hear about all these, you know, stories around how fast paced, how, te- you know, talent dense it is, you know, how opening it is, eye-opening it is, right? What was your experience like? Yeah, no, uh, when I think about it, I take a deep breath because it really <laughs> felt like I was in a different world where time yeah. speed was you know point 1.5x or something like that like things really move so much faster um i also want to think back about when i uh started to actually look for a job because it wasn't very straightforward for me mm. i'm not american i didn't study in the us i i did a study exchange um during my INSEAD days with kellogg which is a, a business school in Northwestern, which is based in uh, around the Chicago area. So I was exchange student. And uh, the tricky thing about US is, well, and in most countries, like in Singapore, also you need to be authorized to work. So I remember having a lot of conversations with these startups that I would meet um, when I was an MBA student going to graduate that they would first ask, like, okay, do you have work authorization? And then it's a yes, no question. And my answer is no, but I always try to, you know, kind of like, yeah, not, not really, but, uh, and the fortunate thing for me as a Singaporean is that we do have this special visa status, um, where it makes things easier for companies to employ Singaporeans. But that's it. These are startups that I was talking about. So most of them didn't know about this program. Yeah. Uh, so I had to do a lot of basically being very thick skin, um, like, sort of trying to educate them about it, like not sounding like, hey, you've got to know about this, but more like, hey, you know, actually there's a really easy way. And then I send them information. Um, And uh, it it was, uh, basically I was hustling, right? I, I, (laughs) so I, I want to talk about this story, right? Where I was in, um, uh, where was I? I was in California, I was in San Francisco. I wanted to go for this healthcare conference that one of the universities organized. I was in, I was there, but you know, it's really expensive to <laughs> find a place. And I was a student, a poor MBA student with a lot of debt. And I basically couch surfed for like, I don't know, two weeks or something. I wow. just asked friends uh, or friends. And I, I one day, I, I it was, you know, on one of the couches in, you know, these tech bros, <laughs> they're like really dingy <laughs> apartment. And then oh, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just realized, I'm like, you know, I'm in this house of two strangers, two guys that I've never ever met. What am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, does anyone know that I'm here? That kind of thing. Um, it could be a potentially dangerous situation, but yeah. uh, I, I guess I was at this, yeah, like you said, I, I was thinking about, okay, I, this is my one chance. I have to really try to maximize it and, and, <laughs> that's kind of what I did. So yeah, I tried to minimize my cost by staying at these places and then, you know, go for these conferences to meet people and potentially find something. And, and I mean, it worked out. It, 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 thankfully, yeah. it all worked out. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So those are crazy times. And okay, to answer your question about like the yeah. vibe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, again, crazy fast paced. This was before you know, COVID and all the, the tech layoffs, right? So this was the, the heyday and like when people were hiring left and right, like I would walk down um, the, the street and all I would be hearing are these conversations uh, and people talk very loud <laughs> for some reason. Uh, they were talking about, oh, I'm, you know, raising funds for my company. I, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm running to this VC, whatever pitch thing. Like you could literally hear these conversations happening around you in Pete's Coffee 
uh, uh, yeah, walking down like Mission Street, or it was just uh, in the air. Essentially, I took an mm. Uber then, and I remember the Uber driver like basically pitching the way. She was like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this right now. I'm driving now, but you know, I'm doing this startup. Here's my car." And I was like, "Wow, okay." Every single person has like a side yeah. thing running some kind wow. of startup. I was, yeah. Uh, yeah, just kind of thrown into a, a totally different world, yeah. like I said. So, right. yeah, it, it, it was very exciting. Um, but at the same time, it gets to you. It's like, oh, no, I don't have anything. Or like, I need to work in a tech place. And yeah. uh, so there's a flip side to that. Yeah, mm, for sure. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I wanted to take a slight tangent to this, right? Because, you know, at the top of the show, you mentioned around like, you know, having this, you know, say no uh, you know, not taking no for an answer kind of attitude, and in terms of like, yeah. uh, you know, you you going to the, you know, and that the, the you, you going for your placement even back then, right? Trying to get a placement in SMU and stuff like that. You already started oh, yeah. hustling back then, and then now, you know, t- talking about this story, you started hustling again. I wonder, you oh know, gosh, where yeah. did that come from? You know, about you, right? Where did where did that come from for you? You know, you uh, is it something that perhaps yeah. you know you, uh, an experience that you had earlier in your life, or what? What do you think it was, right? Or maybe you're just like competitive. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's partly, well, definitely my family upbringing is one where, uh. Not, I wouldn't say that you know, we're very competitive, but I think for the most part, especially my mom, she's had a big influence in my life. Like she's always been a self-employed person and she mm. uh, was an insurance agent. And I think with the insurance, you have to kind of be that way. Yeah. Um, you have to be resourceful, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And then she t- switched jobs midway because she felt she was getting kind of stale into uh, real estate. And um, whereas, I mean, she was also, you know, essentially selling most of the time. And uh, I I think I kind of got that from her. Um, Also, the first time always gives you confidence for the next time, right? So Mm. with the new experience, um, in fact, even with INSEAD, I was also on waitlist. So I... It also had to, you know, try to differentiate myself. And I, I, I ha- yeah, I basically also had to add in more information for more resources or inter- uh, people to give me referrals. And, it, you know, once you do the first time, you do the second time, you're like, okay, actually, you know, the first no isn't, isn't Always a definite thing. no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you just, and you need to find a way to uh, make yourself non-irritating, I <laughs> think. Like really appealing, right? Like I remember, right. okay, one of the things I did was in the conference, you know, the one in the in uh, SF that yeah. I <laughs> captured. Yeah. I wanted to talk to this startup like founder very much. I was thinking, how do I get to him? And then for some reason, I was going to the restroom. He was there, and I was like, oh, it's my chance. Um, I don't want to, you know, sound like I I I want to draw per se, but uh, what I had prepared beforehand, that's really important, you need to prepare, right, was my kind of pitch. I was like, hey, you know, I'm an MBA student. I was wondering if your company would be interested in, you know, doing some kind of special project about, you know, expanding into Asia, because that's my my thing, right? So I'm Asian, I have health tech experience there. And then, like, I guess he, he knows I'm a student, so he doesn't pay me. And then like, oh, why not a free project? Like, sure. So that's how I, I, I kind of scored a project with the company. And, mm. um, yeah, so it takes yeah both sort of that luck thing, but uh, prep for sure as well. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I, I like uh, the the saying of increasing your surface area for luck to stick. <laughs> so <laughs> so that that's kind of what you did, right? In yeah. terms of uh, you know, just really trying different areas, and you know, luck will probably be present in some of those things. So it's it's really fascinating to to hear yeah. these stories, right? Yeah. And it's very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, for, 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 for those who are really just wanting to kind of try different things, right? You really, really never know. Um, I think it is also a good reminder for me to also try to kind of invest, invite guests that I want to be on the show as well. You know, a lot of times yeah. until today, after even like, you know, like how many episodes in, I'm still finding myself, you know, uh, you know, he- hesitating to write to this person that I do not know as well, even though, hey, yeah. the worst case scenario is just a no. And like you say, the first no may not be a definite no. Why not? You just follow up again and again, right? <laughs> So you know yeah. that's 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 really uh, 
uh, interesting. Um, you know, let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit in terms of uh, the question that I thought uh, that I said that we were going to touch on later, which is your value based healthcare. Um, yeah. This is really interesting to me because we've been talking about it for the past three years as well. I kind of explored this a little bit with Pin as well in terms of um, what that could potentially mean as well, right? Because value based healthcare, um, um, I guess, to kind of set the stage and set the frame is really that it meant that. I will pay. It's a payment model between the 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 the, the payer, which some which most of the time are insurers or, or even yourself, and also the healthcare provider. Yeah. In terms of, um, you know, if you can make a change or a value, then I will pay you. It's kind of like that payment model, right? So, um, it could really change the way we see healthcare because right now in in Malaysia, at the very least, I guess in in Singapore as well, um, we're rendering service based on the time that the professional gives us. Like for example, mental yeah. professionals, you know, you see them for an hour, you give them a certain amount. Um, yeah. Professionals as well, medical professionals as well, you pay them per consultation, right? So yeah. I'm not saying that medical professionals are evil or whatever it is, but sometimes they are bad actors that could actually are uh, incentivized to keep you coming back again, right? Yeah. And that's not actually uh, always, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I guess, a clear indicator of the health quality that you bring. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious yeah. in terms of like, you know, when you talk about value-based healthcare, you know, overseas and also perhaps what you're looking at here when you're advising uh, startups as well, what is mm -hmm. it? Uh, how is it different, you know, like back then and now, you know, you know what, what, what are you seeing as well, you know? Yeah, thanks for that. So firstly, I would, yeah, give this simple analogy to really mm. make it uh, understandable. Yeah. So today, most of the healthcare system they are in is that we are paying the doctors, the hospitals uh, for the kind of services that they render us. And so that's how these healthcare, uh, the, the whole healthcare provider group in, in one, you know, um, uh, as one collective is, is being paid and thus incentivized. Um, what value-based healthcare tries to do is to essentially change the way that it's being paid to basically encourage these providers to keep your patients outside of the hospital. So mm. think about it. Today, they are being paid because you go to the hospital, but what value-based care is trying to do is to pay them to keep you outside, right? Mm. And that's what I want, right, as a patient. Yeah. I want to not go to hospital, right? Yeah. I, 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 that's, that's the thing. So there's, I guess, yeah, like you said, this mis sort of alignment of incentives and value-based care is so unique because it's trying to align these very, you know, on a superficial level, like seemingly uh, un unreconcilable kind of incentives. Mm. So how, how we think about that is, uh, for example, in the area of preventative health, that's the, the most uh, obvious. And in the US, it's where it's tried and tested, right? There are certain kind of things where if you pay people to do, or providers to, providers meaning like doctors, uh, healthcare groups, to try to get patients to come in to do, people to do uh, like screening of breast cancer, cervical cancer, colorectal cancer, um, and, and vaccinations itself is also a form of preventative health, right? There is a, a lot of benefit down the road for everybody. And um, the way to be able to do that, you need kind of three ingredients, right? You need these policies. You need to have the know-how of what are the things that would move the needle to essentially reduce or keep costs uh, not ballooning or keep costs low for the for future generations you need to have this understanding and it can be slightly different for different populations because there are you know genetic differences and things like that but at the very base foundational level things like what i just shared those screening things um are have been you know universally acknowledged and you need to have those in place and then the second piece is that you need to have the right kind of payment incentives right uh you need the governments to step in, to be able to provide dollars to move people to come in and, and do, you know, mammogram screening after 45 years old, uh, and then do regular up. And the base kind of layer for that, and the third ingredient is really the data interconnectivity, because to do this well, you would need to be able to data from the patients you know you need to understand oh this this lady is 45 year old already we need to encourage her to do that um, how do we even know that we need that information right the, the doctors will need to have that 
um, the insurance also ideally would, would know that, right? Mm. And um, there's a way to then reach out to them and, and then collect that information uh, and put it into a place where you, you get a holistic view of, you know, uh, Sarah Wong <clears throat> as she, she grows um, older, you know, has two kids and, and understand like what are the different changes the patient is going through or, you know, the, the customer is going through in that sense. So, uh, yeah, so the three things, right, they, the right framework, the understanding of what kind of policy or population health management levers uh, are, are important for your population. You need the payments that will be aligned and then you need the, the data. So with these things in mind, I guess we need to then think about which countries are, you know, where are they in these, in these, these three, three areas, yeah. right? Maturity really level of each of those yeah. areas, right? Where they are already exactly. in each area, right? Yeah, to effectively kind of roll it out. And I want to bring out something interesting that I came across in the US. So, you know, US started this in the early uh, 2000s, where they tried to basically, well, they made a law to make sure all hospitals or all healthcare settings have now an EMR. So today, everybody is on electronic medical records. This mm. is not the case, right, in Asia, in a lot of um, countries yeah, yeah but because they started with that then they could you know layer on different things like the different policies and the different uh, uh programs like the medicare uh, advantage um that we see right now which is the equivalent of oh well medicare itself is like a is equivalent of like a national insurance for people mm. over 65 and the an interesting trend came up uh, that since the I think 10 years ago, 2010, the uh, spending of Medicare, so this is insurance for 65-year-old older folks, has been quite flat for the past 10 mm. years. And, and you don't wow. really hear about that. You hear about like, okay, no. yeah, you know, healthcare care is really big, but Medicare per beneficiary, so individuals, uh, yeah, in the healthcare system in the U.S. are actually having uh, very negligible like inc increments. Wow. Like, you know, there's inflation and stuff like that. So you yeah, take that into consideration. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, this is amazing chart where the, the prediction so that it's going to be, you know, like skyrocketing. But it actually, in, in fact, after, you know, 2010, it kind of like just flat is, is flat. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. no one really understands this. And, and there have been like different reasons why people come out of it. But uh, I think one of the reasons is also definitely uh, because of these policies where people are in a way more incentivized to uh, manage their health more uh, preemptively. And so I think that's a, a hopeful kind of note for us here in Asia, right, where we are uh, admittedly, you know, much less mature in these three mm. uh, levers. Um, I mean, it's not to say that US has it down for sure. Like, course, there are a lot, yeah. a lot of challenges and, and it's pretty broken Absolutely. as well, the healthcare system yeah. there. But um, yeah, with regard to this area of population health and value-based care, uh, I, I think it, it's a hopeful note. And we see, you know, recently in Singapore, there's this whole healthier SG where now the government is saying, okay, we're going to, you know, make it free for people so over a certain age to do these regular health screenings. Um, they're going to go into, so that's number one, right? That, that first level that I was talking about, the policies. And then the second thing, now they are doing these capitation models. So essentially mm -hmm. capitation is about giving X amount of dollars to a certain healthcare provider. And we have three like public clusters. So they all have these mandate to you know take care of a certain population in their region um, to make sure that they are doing the right kind of screenings, you know, not going back to the hospital if they have uh, been discharged from some kind of procedures. Uh, these are all the, the, the different ways that they're trying. And, and I think a lot of countries are uh, trying to go towards this data integration by building up their own, you know, national record, right, of, of healthcare mm, data. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, with, with, with that, it, it's all in different stages, but everyone is working at it, right, in, in different mm. ways. Um, at different paces also. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's hopeful. I would say it's, it's definitely hopeful. I'm excited to be yeah. you know, back in, in Singapore in this region <laughs> during this yeah. exciting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were, when we were, I mean, Thoughtful has a, <coughs> HQ is in Singapore as well, right? So we do actually interact with, uh, you know, the parts of the ecosystem and they've been talking about interoperability uh, of, of healthcare data as well. Mm -hmm. um, that admittedly is going to be a challenge because, you know, everybody don't trust each other with each other's data. <laughs> so, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But I think that, you know, 
um, the nuance to that to that was is is really like, you know, how what do you need at what time, right? It's it's not an open book where you can go in and just take whatever you want. It's about how do you then create systems and rules where you know you can only take what you want, right? I can share with you, but you can only take what yeah. you want and state the reason that you want. I think that's a a good place to start rather than assuming that it's going to be this open book database that everybody can just look it up, right? That's no, going to obviously yeah. going to spell a, a, a very good uh, recipe for disaster, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so you're now, you, you've mentioned that you're excited to be back in uh, Singapore and, 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 and all that. Uh, and of course, that also kind of prompted you to start the podcast, um, you know, <laughs> so... Tell us a little bit about the story behind the podcast as well, right? Obviously, we had a chat off off camera, mm-hmm. but you know, let's let's talk sure. a little bit about that that story, right? Um, when you know, why you why did you start sure. a podcast? Uh, maybe you've, you've you've introduced it briefly at the top of the show. You know, talk yeah. talk to us a little bit about I guess the guest that you had on the show as well, right? So far, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, it's not a, a very long story because I just sure. came back last yeah, year, yeah. Yeah. but the you know, it was really when I came back, I had been overseas for six years and i was essentially pretty burnt out from you know five years of intense um, sort of startup mm. life and i also had a what, 18 month old and then i was pregnant with number two mm. so with so many changes on the horizon <laughs> you know going back to your culture there's also this thing called like reverse culture shock and it's real it was really real um yeah. that i was in this place where I asked myself, hey, okay, so what am I going to do after my, you know, kid is out? Uh, do I still want to continue working? I was still working with my, you know, the U.S. company at that point in time. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there are all these interesting things happening in, in Asia, right? right? But I, I, it needed some time to get back and understand, catch up mm. right, well, with what was happening. So I thought to myself, hey, okay, let's let's do this thought experiment. What about if I talked, if I didn't do anything for a while, um, take time to readjust all that, you know, <laughs> having a second kid, you know, no joke, right? Um, and then yeah. just so many things that we had to uh, adapt to again, even the payment systems were different. Um, so I was thinking, okay, how about I talk to 20 women to uh, understand how some, how some of them have kind of, you know, made it work, right, with uh, having young kids and still wanting to be very involved in their career because I, I knew mm. that that's what I wanted to continue on, though not in the same way as before. So I was yeah. essentially trying to find a new way of being. And uh, yeah, so that's where the idea was birthed. And then I had these conversations. They were so interesting that I thought, hey, you know, other people might be able to benefit. And yeah. since I have the time and space, why not try something new? I always wanted to uh, do a podcast because I started to listen to these a lot during COVID, as I think many of right. us did, uh, consume content through podcasts. And uh, like, apparently it was quite easy to do, right? So <laughs> I decided to take <laughs> up the challenge. we're here. <laughs> <laughs> to, to uh, you know, budding amateurs, you know, like doing oh our own thing. Gosh. It's it's really, yeah. you know, e- theoretically very easy, but, you know, practically <laughs> speaking, it does still take a bit of a motivation and push from yourself. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, every time it's like, okay, and the, 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 so I do it every other Wednesday and I have it in my calendar, right? I'm like looking at it and like, oh, dang, I need to, you know, <laughs> prepare and do the post-production stuff properly and all yeah. that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's also definitely why it's been keeping me on my toes, for sure. Yeah. And, and it has led to really interesting conversations and new ideas. Um, so you were asking about, yeah, the kind of people, I think, also, one of the, the things that I've noticed is that uh, there's, you know, an increasing shift in the way of working um, mm. it, slowly, but slow, surely towards the idea of maybe a bit of like a portfolio uh, of your career rather than like a career uh, ladder. It's like a portfolio where you have yeah. different ways of essentially monetizing your skills. And it was because yeah. of these the, the people that I met that I started to learn about this whole area which Portfolio I guess can be career, categorized right? in yeah, yeah future of work kind of thing yeah. um yeah I noticed yeah. that as well I noticed that as yes. well like it seems like you know I've, I spoke to a few recruiters as well right uh mm-hmm. and they seem to be saying that that could be the way forward until you know there's some semblance of economy uh positive sentiments on economy uh you know u-turn or whatever jazz they call it right um mm. but it's really well, interesting I think it's here to how... stay 
I think yeah, it's good to absolutely. say. Because uh, everybody is so burnt out for the past few years. <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, people... this tech layoffs, you realize like, hey, actually, it's not a golden ticket, man. Like, it's in a way yeah. just it... a job in a sense. But yeah. Absolutely. Like, people yeah. want to find fulfillment in their work. Yeah. And so this is where like the whole motherhood identity you know, shift that comes in when you become a mom helps. Mm. It drops you out of, you know, what you were doing before. And then really I like, hey, actually, yeah. yeah, what do I really want to do? What do I really want yeah. to spend my time on? Because time is so yeah. scarce now with young kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's definitely sparked really interesting conversations. And uh, mm. like now I'm doing the series with coaches and counselors um, who, yeah, uh, focus on, on women and then in that subset, you know, working moms. Uh, mm. it's across all of them. Like the most common thing is that there's this change in identity, a fundamental change in identity towards how yeah. they think about their work after they have kids. Um, yeah, so so that's yeah where <laughs> I landed and am still in the midst of, you know, totally figuring out. But mm. it's been a great experience, yeah. And I hope yeah. you all will go and listen too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're definitely going to kind of put a link, uh, you know, when this episode goes out in terms of, uh, you know, where to find your episodes as well. I find those conversations really, uh, you know, interesting because, you know, I have those conversations with my wife as well, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's exactly what you've mentioned around how, you know, the moment, uh, the, the moment our son was born, uh, mm. then, you know, it's all these questions around, like, you know, who am I really, right? And suddenly, mm. you realize you're not the same person anymore, and, you know, the, <laughs> you're looking for a new way of being. Those mm-hmm. are words that she used. Uh, oh, it is a yeah. common theme, you know, like, uh, yeah. trying to kind of, you know, you know, you know that sometimes, I mean, we love our son so much, but there are just logistical aspects, the chore mm. aspect of it that really mm. isn't that fulfilling for everybody, right? I know mm. of moms who, or, and dads who, who really love, you know, preparing so many different types of stuff for their, for their kids, right? For school, for food <laughs> and stuff like that. But, you know, <coughs> it's not for everyone. It's not for me, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't enjoy cooking that much. I love, I love eating. <laughs> but not so much, so much cooking and, you know, the variety that comes with it, right? So, you know, yeah. being, a, and, and you know that the options of, you know, you know being a, a full-time stay-at-home parent may not be on the table. Uh, because you just find, mm-hmm. you know, there's still other things that you're excited about, right? And that's something that people yeah. don't talk about enough, you know. Y- you can both yeah. love someone so much, your son so much, your, your your daughter so much. But at the same time, there are just aspects of it where, you know, you kind of need some me time and some identity to yourself as well. That that, that kind of duality is really... Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like only only parents, once you become a parent, <laughs> fully understand it, you know. There is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is uh, for sure an unsaid bond with parents especially new parents because we're both in the trenches together i mean our experience will be very different but there's some core like shifts in you that you're like oh my gosh yeah, i get you bro so yeah actually that's why in, in when i after we came back um because we had our first kid overseas without you know family and friends and all that mm. and it was uh <laughs> It was during COVID, but we were so like blessed by people who we didn't really know so well. I mean, they were some people who, who were our neighbors and some were from our church community. They would give us food and they had set up this meal train and it was so sweet because they were all also young parents or had been wow. through before. Yeah. And there was just like, yeah. you know, like unity and, and a sense of camaraderie. And when we came back, uh, when I, whenever I hear there's, you know, a new baby and it, even in my blog, like I, I actually cook something and give it to them, even though I don't really oh, know them because I'm like, wow. Hey man, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, I wanted to kind of also, uh, you know, ask you one of this, uh, you know, question that uh, that is related to what we talk about, like being, you know, new parents and, and all that, right? Um, yeah. If you could write a letter to, you know, working moms, what would the letter, mm-hmm. you know, be about? Yeah. Yeah, that was a interesting question. I I want to like rephrase it or. So yeah, go ahead. Think yeah, about yeah, yeah. it in a slightly different way. So I'm thinking more about writing a letter to my younger self. <laughs> mm. um, cool. Or my younger yeah. working mom self. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's possible. So I uh, thought about it. it, it I think 
and it comes in two parts. There's the mom part, and then there's the, the working part. Mm. Um, so to the mom part, I want to tell myself that, yes, Sarah, it does feel like being a mom is like a subtractive kind of um, uh, uh, phase where I'm less of my I have less time to myself. I have, you know, less time for my husband or things that I like to do. Uh, but essentially, it ultimately it's it's additive. It actually because of this new identity, it gives you new perspective into everything else. Uh, it's like a new lens that you're wearing. So uh, you know, you will grow in empathy, like. I was sharing for people who I don't even know, but because we're in the same stage, it's like, okay, let's, you know, just show a little bit of love and, and pay it forward. Um, and then you learn to look at things through the eyes of a child, which is also so precious and such, yeah. a, such a short time, right? And um, and it's really, it will also build your faith in, in God. So I really grew a lot in, in trusting God as well during that time. And that has been beautiful for me. So, yeah. Even though it's hard, it's acknowledge it. <laughs> Don't feel like you need to have it all together. Um, yeah, I know ultimately that it, you will be growing out of it. it you, it's, a, it's a process. Um, so that's to the mom part. And then to the working part, which is the part that has been around longer, you know, yeah. give yourself more grace and more space. Uh, don't try so hard to get it all together again uh, from a professional side. Like, don't worry about gaps in your career, you know, journey or your resume. Uh, important thing is to know how to make sense of it, right? To, to explain and to almost like storytell about why that happened. Um, and in fact, totally ditch the idea of a career ladder. I've always grown up with the idea that, you know, it's one step after the next. It's like, a mountain that you need to climb um that's not helpful the idea of a career ladder i don't even want to say like go at your own pace because it sort of suggests like <laughs> some kind of competition yeah. or race um yeah. you know dance to your own tune enjoy yourself for the moment lean into what you uh, really are passionate for your work um and yeah continue having a, a mindset of openness and growth yeah with uh your your working skills so yeah that's my mm. love that to my mom and my working part <laughs> wow that's you know that, that that's really wonderful uh you know i, I could i could learn you cry i mean i i had some i yeah i had some <laughs> reflective moment for myself as well you know i i think the the part around like you know being able to empathize for people uh, that's the first part that I realized for myself as well. Like, you know, now when I see uh, a, a child that is, you know, throwing a tantrum and stuff like that, it used to be that, my goodness, what's the, what's the parent doing? And now it's like, oh, poor parent. Like, they must be having a, such a hard time. <laughs> you know, because, you know, right? sometimes you just cannot control those moments, you know, and, you know, they are learning and, and you know, and I learned that, you know, it's they're not trying to make your life hard. They're really trying to learn how to overcome their own little big, emotions as well you know so that's kind of yeah. what i you know i my perspective kind of changed from that as well um and the part yeah. around the career ladder being extremely unhelpful you know during yeah. these three four months of me taking a career break that has absolutely mm -hmm. been not helpful i mm. found myself wondering yeah. to myself like what is the next step and this yeah. next step better be a step <laughs> above the ladder you know yeah. and and you know yeah. that has been yeah. really unhelpful that has been really unhelpful. Mm. And no matter how much awareness that, uh, you know, I have around, like, it's good to have your own pace, everybody goes at a, the right pace and stuff like that, you know, do what mm -hmm. is what, what you most needed for your phase of the career. It's all hit knowledge, but it's not going here. It's not connecting. <laughs> it, it's, it's really not connecting to the, to the heart and, and, you know, to the soul as well. You know, spiritually, you yeah. know, I also believe that everything happens for a reason and, you know, God, God's plan is better than mm. yours, right? But... Mm. it's hard <laughs> right now it's yeah. kind of like in the wilderness you don't keep know going, what's going keep on going keep going yeah, yeah you surround going, yourself yeah. with good people and people who Absolutely. you know will encourage and speak into that that 
what you need at that point of time. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm so yeah, glad yeah. we we got to connect. And I, I, absolutely, yeah, I, I, I think this best. is. Yeah, I wish you all the best as well. And you know, it's been a really uh, great chat with you, uh, Sarah. You know, I, this is uh, uh, an episode that really hits all the three areas that you know this podcast <laughs> kind of represents. You know, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm very grateful for you know uh, for, for for this as well. And I'm I'm so excited for what's ahead for you as well. So thank you so much for being on the show, Sarah. Thank you, Zen. I'm rooting for you. You can do this. Thank you. See you.